There's a movement going on in us for, for what just happened. There's a stirring and a movement bringing us into those places where we can be so vulnerable and intimate or we can pray and not know what to pray or we can kneel or we can come or we can lay hands and it's not some weird crazy it, it's just this sweet divine unspeakable place within us that is the church and it's also brutal and messy and I always say the church got messy the moment I walked in <laughs> I mean and so that is really what redemption is doing that is what what life is and it really brings a lot of hope and anchor to my soul to just start session two in that place because that's the hope we have on earth this is such a a, a short amount of time sister and you know if i were to bring out a, a rope right now and i were just to run the rope all out into the parking lot all into the yard across the room and just and have a you know where you couldn't even see how long it was i mean that and let's say that represents eternity well i would come in and maybe take a little millimeter of a red tape and paint around one end of it and that would be earth <laughs> that would be our life in mortal bodies that that's just to get your mind around that it's it's bending there's no really way as a mortal to even conceive and comprehend but what I want to say to you when we tend to get lost in the things that really don't matter, that there is a there is a eternity awaiting you that matters. And and so the, the, the moments like that, the small shifts in who you are, from who you came into this room as and who you will leave, even just ever so subtle, is, is a movement toward eternity. And it's a movement to where your heart and your mind are aligned and harmonious in this place that is your home. And so that is what redemption does. It is a finality of who we are, but it is saying to us that there is a working out of it while we live on planet Earth in mortal bodies. There's a working out of it, and that's what faith looks like. And that's where when we meet someone and, and we want to put them on a scale of what they know and what, how long they've been in church or how long they've been a Christian or whatever, that really just all, when you think about the fact that there's no arrival for any of us this side of glory, when you think about the fact that there's always a deeper place for us to go, there's always more for us to know, there's more grace to believe, there's more faith to be had, and there's more freedom to feel as our truth. And, and the hope is, is that as we grow up in the faith, that those things, just like I was telling you, the mind of a trauma survivor, that those things, that becomes our, our normal, that who we are in Christ becomes really who we are. And so the behaviors that want to tempt us to believe otherwise are less and less and less. Not because, not because we think we have to do them. I really want you to hear me say that, and I'm going to prove that to you as we go into 1 Peter together, that this freedom that I speak of and this freedom that God wants for you, that Jesus has purchased for you on the cross, finally, fully, is not motivated from a place of, of, of rules and obedience and religion. It is quite the opposite, in fact. It is the freedom of Christ that begets obedience it is the freedom that you feel not the other way not the other way around obedience does not beget freedom freedom begets obedience so the more free you feel the more sure you are of who you are in him the more obedient you will naturally be the more um, peaceful loving joyful self-controlled hopeful you will find small little tiny shifts in your attitude and your behavior. Whereas maybe a month ago, you will, you know, somebody talked bad about you behind your back. So an opportunity presents itself for you to also get a jab in there. And somebody's talking and you go, oh, here's my opportunity to say something about, about them. And maybe you're saying the truth, but it's painting them in a negative light, which is gossip, by the way. You can be saying what is true. It just paints them negatively. 
And so you get that opportunity. Well, the old you a month ago would have just not even thought anything about it and would have just gone right on and said it even though it paints them in a negative bad light. But over the past month, things have been stirring in you. you. You've been settling into the Word of God. You've been letting the truth speak and resonate over your heart and soul. Because of that, because that seems to be true of you, you show up then for church, which then ignites you even more because you get to worship and be around people who are like-minded. And then so the, you do that more and more, and then a month passes, and you get that opportunity to throw those words in there, and, you, and, you, and your tongue literally stops because you really don't have the desire to hurt them. And you don't have the desire to prove yourself right anymore because it really doesn't matter what they think of you And you genuinely love that other person who has hurt you. And just because they've extended hurt to you, you don't want to extend it. You see what I'm saying? Like it's these little tiny things that we watch. And so if you want to like mark things in your life and you want to look, those are healthy. Those are things that God wants for us. There is a growing and a maturing of the faith. And so that's what you're looking for. You're looking for these tiny little moments, even little things like coming up to pray. I like five years ago, I would have never walked up here and put my hands on her. I'd have been like, oh, I can't do that. I can't touch her. I can't put my hands on her. She, she would think I'm, I do not care now. I'll put my hands all over her. Because we are sisters. We are, we fight together in this. We are a team. We are sisters. And it's this vulnerability in me that is so rock solid in who I am that I don't have to put up a pretense. Thank you for saying that. It's one of the greatest compliments anyone could ever give any of us is that there is no pretense to us. That we are who we are and we're struggling where we're struggling. If we're struggling with depression, we say it. If we're struggling with anxiety, we name it. We don't run from it, hide, have to cope over here and be alone in it. We are not alone. And that is what, that is what the enemy wants. He wants you to think you are alone, to get you isolated. And so that you sit in a closet next to all your things and you cry while your husband sleeps in the other room and you pop pills. Because it's painful. And, and when I ask people to, to bring up those stones, those debts, those places in their life, it's really painful. Because it's the places that are between us and God. It, it, this really isn't something about the other person. The, the debts that we collect in our life, that's really between you and God. And it's, those, it's everywhere that you are wrong. It's everywhere that, you know, there needs to be some forgiveness and something to let go of and it's hard and there's grief and there's anger and there's, it's, it's just, it's brutal. But what is waiting for us in that, that confession, that conviction and that repentance, it's just a sweet steadying of our soul, an anchoring of who we are. And I, I just keep saying that because that's where we miss it as believers. Because mainly I'm talking to a room of Christians and so I'm addressing this Uh, Not as I would, you know, just someone who's an atheist walking on the street. I would address, approach this aspect of redemption totally differently. But if you say and believe that you really do love Jesus, and maybe that's as far as you've gotten. That's all you get and know. That's enough. (laughs) And, And you really know that because you know you love Jesus because you really hate sin. When you, when you disbelieve him, it stings now. And so maybe you haven't even been able to put a language on it because of your what you've grown up in or because religion has totally tainted that. And so it's no longer honest. But the honest, it's very simple. Do you hate sin? Is there something in you that feels bad about it? It's almost like a, it's a little taste of guilt, but it's not, it's not a guilt of condemnation. It's a little consciousness. It's that prick of our spirit saying there's more for you. It's not a punishment saying, how dare you? You see, that's what we want to do. And that's what religion puts on heaps, weights on people's shoulders is when we say, how dare you commit adultery? How dare you even consider um, not showing up for church? How dare you not speak to me? You know, and so that's that's not of the Lord. In the spirit, there is freedom, and it is for freedom he has set us free. Why would we then go back to a yoke of slavery? 
That is not who we are anymore. So let me, let me prove this to you. Let me play out redemption for you in 1 Peter as I unpack this. And I want you to know, I, I apologize. I took 15 extra minutes off the top of this session. So I am watching the clock. I want you to get to lunch at a decent time. I know our sugar gets low, ladies, and we start getting a little pricky and sassy. So I want to make sure that we all get our sugar yes, and our coffee. Okay, so 1 Peter is the first letter um, of, of Peter here. And has everybody landed with me on 1 Peter? Are we there? Yeah. All right, so this letter was written in AD 64 in the month of July. And this was the time where um, Nero uh, set, set a, the ruler of Rome, he set a fire to the city. And most believe he set the fire himself in order that he could rebuild it and restructure it to make it more glorious. But what happened was instead of taking the ownership of setting the fire to the the city, Nero blamed the Christians. He said that the Christians did it. So there was this massive persecution of the church. And Christians were literally being taken, hung on poles, put oil on, and set aflame in the city. And this is where Peter would die. Peter would die in this persecution. And this letter is written just a few years before his death. And he would die in this manner. And so he is writing to the dispersion, which he's writing to the Christians who have scattered because of this persecution in Rome. And they have scattered to what would be our modern-day Turkey. Okay, so just to set you up for where he's coming in, and this is what he says in chapter 1, verse 1, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion, and, and he names the places they've, they've all scattered, Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. According to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ, and and for sprinkling with His blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Now here's what I want to do. I want to break this chapter down in three parts. And I'm going to put up some words that I want you to circle and or underline or write a note that these are important words in this context to remember. I will by no means cover all that I want to cover. Um, this is not an exegesis of First Peter chapter 1, but it is pulling out the, the themes that are very important to the topic of redemption. And I want you to see the movement. Because here I've told you my story and I've brought you in to the, to the obviousness of my debt. I've brought you into what I am capable of as somebody who struggles with sin every day, even though I love Jesus. And so I, I've, I've set the stage now that there is a debt to be paid, not, not simply whole as in our life for death and sin, but all in the little fine details that we, the little stones that we lay of our reputation, our relationships, our belongings over the course of our life that we will watch this redemption moving um, and settling us in, in who we are. And first Peter, graciously enough, as I'm, Vicki and I have talked and discussed and we've we're here on First Peter and our theme verse it is so gracious to actually give us a map of how redemption plays out. So I'm going to break it in three parts for you. The first part, I'm going to unpack really who, who you are, and that's, in, that's really in the first um, two verses. The second section is verses 3 through 12, which I will tell you why you are. And then in the final section, how we do this thing. And that's verses 13 through 24. And I'm going to go through it very quickly. I'm not going to say everything well, but um, I I would encourage you just to kind of, as the Spirit speaks to you, will you please make a note of that so that you remember this day, this, this marker today. All right, so here is the words that I need you to remember. I've given you words to remember in 1 Peter verses 1 through 2. The first is elect and exile. These are very important, and I I wish we had the time to get into all the deep, deep theology that belongs to these two words. We do not. So I'm just going to give you a... a, It's very important that you see these go together, that you are an elect exile, because this really tells you who you are as a Christian. 
As a believer in Jesus Christ, who am I? You're an elect exile. That's who you are. And it's, 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 it happens to us these three ways, as we see here, by God, through the Spirit, and for Jesus. That's what Peter says here. It's according to the knowledge of God, which is basically saying you had nothing to do with it. <laughs> the foreknowledge of God, before you existed, God knew you would be his chosen child that he would call and elect. The foreknowledge of God in the sanctification of the Spirit, so that's through the Spirit. You know this, you know that you are an elect exile through the sanctification, that's a big meaty Christian word, which really just means a a working it out, a working out of faith. You know the sanctification is that chiseling, it's that refining, it's when pain comes, it's when the cancer diagnosis comes, it's when the rejection happens, the divorce, it's uh, when a child leaves, it's all those things. That's the sanctification of life, the working out of your faith. And, And we know who we are through this process, and we are for Jesus, for the obedience of Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood. Okay, so the first, that's the first thing we have to know is who we are. We are elect, which means that we're chosen and that nothing in us prompted this. That's what I want you to, that's very, very important. That is a, now that is a doctrine of the Christian faith that we do land on altogether. The doctrine of grace by faith in Jesus Christ, that there is nothing that you can uh, work to do, that you can earn your salvation, that if to truly believe. Now, can there be people who show up for church who think that they have had a saving experience and have not? Yes. But is there anything that that person or you can do to, to earn that? Can I show up for church enough? Can I show up to the Bible study enough? Um, can I write, say the right words enough or stop doing the, the bad behaviors? No, no. Else Jesus did not need to die. You see, if Jesus really is a payment, there was something to be paid for. He had to take all of it, which means that there was nothing that we could pay. Our hands were empty, and that is the beautiful bit of grace of me sitting in the bed and my husband saying, I don't know how to not love you. That's, that's grace and motion of my hands were not merely empty. They were full of dirt. They were full of me, of self, indulgences and desires of my flesh that I wanted. And so for Jesus to even take those, take them for me. That that blows me away. That blows me away because that's that's what I want you to see. The stones. It's a lot of times we say things in the church that sound really cool and good, like leave your leave your stuff outside, come into church and just leave your stuff outside. Can I clarify? That is not a real thing. (laughs) No one leaves their stuff outside. It's not even humanly possible. Don't say that. God doesn't want you to do that. He is sanctifying you. He is working in you. He is doing something, and all of it matters. All of it. All of the dirty, rotten, scoundrel things that we think and do matter. None of it has taken him off guard. None of it is surprising him. I mean, he he takes he doesn't pick up the stone and move it over here. He actually takes it into him for us. He doesn't move it over here or move it outside or, or just, you know, d- no. He actually takes it fully into himself. And that is, that just blows me. That is what sets me up to then go, okay, okay, now I want to obey. To think of Jesus doing that for me, of bleeding and dying out on the cross for me like that, when I did not deserve it, when I was dead, when I didn't even, it was foreknowledge, I didn't even have the knowledge that I needed that, and he did that, okay, now I want to stay in my marriage. Okay, staying in my marriage doesn't seem near as hard as that. So because he did that, I can stay. I can fight. Okay, now, now showing up for church, 
as much as I disagree and feel weird about things, I got to be a part of a local body. I got to be a part of a family and I can't jump from here to here to here. No, I got to invest. I got to stick. I got to stay. Okay. As much as that person gets on my nerves and when I see her coming, I'd go the other way. Now, when I think on what Christ has done for me, I can see with his eyes, her, I can see that she is me. And it's all playing out a little bit differently, but she's hurting somewhere deep. It's made her socially awkward. I don't know, but I've got to go to her. I've got to go into her life, look at her in the eyes and say, hey, talk to me. Tell me about yourself. Tell me about your life. So now the people who are different denomination than me, different political views than me, um, dress differently differently than me, have all the tattoos and all the things or whatever that just I don't understand. See, the grace of God, it just runs into all those places. And now I have no fear. I want to approach them. It doesn't matter. I don't even see those things anymore because what Jesus has done by taking in all of that for me sets me free to meet them, sets me free to love them. And that's, that is the church. It is really messy and awkward and there's tension and it will be for the rest of our life because that is the working out of the church. But it is also a place where we are unified, a place where I can show up this crazy girl from Texas and, and meet you and we are the same. And in that, that is, that is it. Like that sweet spot of now I just feel so connected and kindred to her and I don't even know her background or story or anything, that's the spirit. That's the church. That is redemption. That is you going, man, I am so known. I belong to something that's bigger than my problems. People really can stay and I really can stay because of what Jesus did for us. We are elect. We are chosen. Oh, and don't forget you are in exile. We, we, we forget this whenever we, um, pain comes and death comes and loss comes and disease comes. and um, We have children who go hungry in, in this world and die of starvation. We have young girls who are trafficked and their bodies sold for sex over and over until they die. And so these hard, awful tensions of evil and life, they... We wonder, and we, you know, if we don't remember that we're in exile, then we start to get mad at God about them. We start to say things like, how could a good God let that happen? And, and so when you remember that you're in exile, when you remember that this is not your home, that, that you're a sojourner here, then, then this makes sense. That this would be all breaking apart because God is bringing people to Him. And in order for Him to bring people to Him, they have to get to the end of themselves. And that only and always comes through pain. I don't know how else to tell you. I, there's no way for me to sugarcoat it. Um, it's, it's just the Bible. It is what the Bible says over and over. It, you can read the Old Testament and go, what in the world? There is tragedy and suffering and wounding and pain and trauma over and over. And you go, what is God doing? He's bringing people to himself. He's bringing people to a saving knowledge that there is life and death, that there's a creator and a created, and we are not God. We need him. But in order for us to be desperate for him, that is what I have learned anyway, sitting in the bed. For me to be desperate, truly desperate, and know know where I'm at in this. That he is my father. I mean, I I just, there's times where I've just had to be taken to the very, very end. And that's always come through pain. It's this, that's where Adam and Eve left off, you see. We are are in the the in-between. We are waiting again to return 
to the Garden of Eden. That is what um, the redeemed earth will be, that Garden of Eden. We will be there again. And in between, we're waiting for it. So there's a part in us that longs for Eden. We know because we are woven in the image of God and Adam and Eve are our forefather mother, we know that it was there. We know that there was once a place where pain did not exist because we were in the presence, unified with God, our Creator. That there was such a harmony and a coexistence with who we were just all the time moving. That we were so full of His mercy and His grace. We remember that 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 was true. But that the door has been shut. And that we are moving back into that redeemed place. And so our bodies cry out for the garden. Our world cries out for the garden. And we are in that exile sojourner place that says, this is not it. This is not our home. So when pain and trial come, that's where we can go. This is not it. This is not our home. Okay, and then let's, let's move on to uh, starting in verse 3. And I'm going to read through verse 12, and then I'm going to give you the words that I want you to, to really look at. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while. If necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning the salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully. Inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them, listen to this, that they were serving not themselves, but you. In the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Okay, really powerful stuff here. Wish I had time to go and unpack every little bit of it. I'm going to give you three things of your why. So we talked about how, excuse me, who you are. In redemption, now I want you to know why. Why you are redeemed. Why, if you stand up and you go, I don't even know how to do this. I don't even know where to start in my Bible. I feel weird going into church, but something in me is saying that there's a creator and I'm a created and I want to know. And so as you begin that process, why? Why is God doing all that? Well, recognize the word faith. You see the faith there that you are being guarded in verse 5, who by God's power are being guarded through faith. And then you also see it again repeated in verse 7, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Christ Jesus. Really powerful that you understand this is why I tell my story. This matters. The tested genuineness of my faith will matter. As as believers, we do not stand before a judgment of Christ where we are condemned. But, and I don't know, I will be the first to say, I haven't done a deep, in-depth study of heaven. I think there's a lot of different theories and open-handed things in regards to that. And and that's not, doesn't matter right now. What matters is that what we, this does matter. (laughs) What happens on planet earth, I do believe the theme that I see in regards to eternity in heaven running through the course of the Bible is that we will be doing something in heaven. 
We will, I believe that we will be working. I, be, I believe it's very similar to the Garden of Eden. It is literally our planet Earth. We're not up in the clouds somewhere. It is God's glory come to planet Earth, redeem it, and we live on Earth. But we live in our redeemed bodies, on a redeemed planet. But I, I believe that the things that God has established as a part of his character to be true here on Earth is also the same in, in eternity. Things like love and service and work. The things that we do with our hands, the way that we speak. And so I have to believe that everything we do and do not do in these mortal bodies really will matter in the immortal ones. Somehow, some way, and, and, I, and I see that here. I see that here as we, as, because this is a big, big statement. That, that our faith is being tested through fire. I want you to see that. It compares it to imperishable things like gold. You know what happens when you melt down gold? What, when it, I know that some of you know probably more about it, but when, you, when gold is melted down, the, the impurities do what? Yeah. The impurities rise to the surface, and, and then you are able to skim them off. Okay, so you just need to think of yourself like that is what faith is doing over and over the course of your life. It's like being melted in the fire your whole life. Something in your life that you're holding on to is being melted in the fire so that the impurities rise to the surface so that God can skim them off. And what you're left with then is a more pure gold, more pure, more, more weighty, more costly gold. And this is what life is. This is the course. And so this is big language that this is the process of redemption that we're on. This is the way it moves in our life like gold and fire. And that is what faith is. It's what it feels like. So that, so that at the revelation of Jesus Christ, it will be found to his praise, to his glory. Does that that stir something big in me? I don't know if that hits you like it hits me, but there's something that, that, that really, really makes me think about how I'm treating some people in my life right now. And I, and I don't know. I don't know, honestly, what we'll be doing if we'll have different jobs and that kind of thing and different, you know, different jewels in our crown. I, I'm not sure. Like I say, I don't really land. I'm not real sure. I need to study that more. But if that is the case... I, I want a really good job. <laughs> I want a job that gets me, you know, in, in touch with as many people, serving, doing, moving as much as possible. And if my decisions matter now to what that will be for the rest of my life, like eternity, that rope, okay, well, this is like a, just a little breath then. And, and I, I really want to be serious about this. I want to love people really well if that will show up in eternity. And, and, and even though I don't know exactly how it will look, I'm just going to place all my bets here. I'm going to err on the side that it will. Because that means more than not. Does that make sense? I'm not saying all of that absolutely well, but that's what I love. I don't have to get up here and say it. Well, I just get to wrestle with you in the scriptures together, all the things that God is teaching me. I love it. Okay. The secondly, I want you to know, oh, oh, I didn't say this. You wrote this down. It will always be required. We talked about proves itself genuine. Um, this is big for me. I just want to point this out really quickly because I hear a lot, one of the most, you know, the most popular sermons and the things that people search for and podcast and read is God's will. Um, probably the most requested, you know, sermon, like, tell us what God's will, what is God's will for my life? We really are asking that every day, whether we know we are or not, what is God's will for my life? And here's all I'm going to say to you. It will always require faith. Always. And so I, that's my filter. If I'm considering a move, if I'm considering a different job, or if I'm considering a call or if I'm considering approaching a new relationship or a new behavior toward my children or putting them even in a different school or going to a different grocery store. I know that sounds weird. But every little thing I filter through this, this truth that I know that, that faith will be required. And so if it's easy for you, red flag. 
If, if there is no part of it that is reckless, then I would reconsider. You get to be reckless. Jesus died for you to be reckless and for some things to not make sense. And so that's what faith is. It's not going to always make sense. It's certainly not going to make sense to the people watching you. I mean, our life has been like <laughs> chapter after chapter. There were people that didn't even understand why Justin stayed with me and that would question that element of our marriage. And then um, shortly after, about a year after, we lived in a very small town and it was just evident that there, it was not going to be, you know, there's just, it was really hard. Our family could not thrive in that very small town because of everything. And we really tried to stick it out and we tried to stay and pray because we grew up there. So I'm like a fourth generation of this town that I'm living in. And Justin's family as well. And everybody knows your stuff and knows your business. And, and it really was just impossible. We were not, we were not thriving at all. I mean, we, it, it was just this weight on us all the time. And so when we felt released to move and really start, almost kind of start over so that, that this, our marriage could heal and the marriage of the other family could heal and have a minute, um, it was just mind-bending to every bit of our family. Because we just, we literally went from a six-figure job to like below the federal poverty line in order to move we gave up all the big stuff, all the house, all the stuff we'd done. We moved into this little duplex in a town where we knew no one. Didn't have any family, didn't have any friends, didn't have a church. My kids didn't know, I mean, I didn't know where to put them in school. I didn't have like a, I mean, it was really, really hard. But the doors just kind of kept flying open. And we didn't even know if what we were doing was the right thing. So we just kind of kept stepping through and stepping through because it felt kind of reckless and it felt kind of weird and people were questioning us and we were questioning us. The great thing was to be on the other side and for me to tell you now after being there is that, oh man, the faith that it took, the faith that it took for us to actually walk out of that and really start to rebuild and heal our marriage, no matter what people said. And even no matter the doubts and the anxiety that we had. That there was just a sweet, sweet faithfulness there that was always required of us. It was definitely a fire moment. And, and now, I mean, just to, so you know, we, we just love our town. We have a church. We have friends. We uh, have a nonprofit where we hire women out of poverty to work on a farm and a farm-to-table restaurant in our town. It's just a beautiful, I mean, my kids go to school. They love it. And God's just... He's done a sweet thing, a sweet healing thing. But in all of that, I'm still looking, is all of this requiring faith? And if it's too easy, if you're just showing up and sitting down, that's too easy, ladies. You, you've got to be a little more reckless with what you're doing. Um, it is, will always require faith. Okay, a little while. I want, I want you to see this, that this is really, really important. If necessary... For a little while, you will experience pain. And, and you probably could have never preached this sermon to me pre-cancer and me really believe you. I would have pushed back on every bit of it. I would have pushed back doctrinally. I would have, you know, gone all over the map saying that God would never allow any of this. And, and we can still disagree. That's okay. We don't have to meet together here. This is where I am. And this has been the most, to me, beautiful, beautiful. I mean, truly to say to you that as, as much as I pray that I will fully believe that I am healed, I know that for the rest of my life I will have this little bitty, I mean, that's just, I'm a, I have sin. I mean, I, I have a spiritual warfare going on all the time, my flesh and my spirit, my flesh and my spirit. And so I know now, but, but just to know that I have gone to this place, this rock bottom with the Lord, that my prayer now and what I truly long for is full healing. Well, that doesn't exist here. The full, complete healing of my body is, in, is at home. And 
for God to do such a work in my heart and life that he's not only taken me from the adulteress to a place now that just recklessly longs to be with him. Long to be with him. Lord, take my life if this is what is necessary. And, and I love the language of a little while. I want to encourage you in that because all of us are meeting somewhere in some pain right now. We're coming in with something. There is pain in, our, in all of our lives in some way. And so I want you to see that beautiful, sweet hope there, that a little while. Oh, he's like, I just feel like a child, like that my father is wrapping up and bringing me in to his arms and setting me in his lap and saying, just a little bit longer, baby. You only have to endure just a little bit longer. I'm doing something. I'm doing something and you can't see it yet. If I showed you, it wouldn't be fake. You can trust that I'm doing something bigger than your mortal eyes can see or your brain can comprehend. And one day you will see it and it will be glorious. And you will go, oh my gosh, this is amazing. You were doing all that in me? You were doing all that in my life? A little while. And in everything, oh, that grace would come to us, that we would know his grace. That is why he is doing this, that you will be met with grace upon grace upon grace in all of your life, that you will let yourself off the hook, that you will let people off the hook, that you will forgive in the places you need to forgive, regardless of it, if there's been ownership on the other side, that you will step out recklessly, knowing that you might fall, and that's okay. You can get back up. You can even look at the people in your own life that you have hurt. And you know that maybe, I don't know if reconciliation has been had or can be had as far as it concerns you, that there's something that shifts in you that go, I really want to try. They, might, they may not hear me. They may not trust me. They probably won't because I've hurt them and injured them. But I'm, I'm, I can at least say I'm sorry. Period. Let me, let me really line us up there, ladies. When we go to apologize and own our stuff, there is a period there. For as many justifications and rationales as we have for doing what we did, a true, true owning of our stuff says, I am sorry. And that goes so far. That bring, that bridges the gap. Oh my goodness, love covers. Love covers a multitude of sin. So I encourage you, I encourage you, if that's a stone that you're holding on to and it's, it's really on you, I, know, I have that in my life. There are people I need to go to right now and literally say, I'm sorry, period. I encourage you to just go into that, lean into it, because that is where you will feel grace upon grace. What Peter was saying here at the end about um, the angels and the prophets... people in the Old Testament. They wanted what we have. They were longing for what we get to experience now in the church. Boggles my mind. So these prophets that are pointing to the Savior, the Messiah, the Redeemer, the Anointed One, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, who will save humanity from sin and death. As you read, they're all longing and crying out for what we, the church, gets to experience. Unbelievable. Why we live, why when we do right now, I don't know. Grace upon grace. I am so thankful that I live in church time. We're in church days, ladies. And we get to praise Jesus that that is for us. That prophets have longed for it, spoken of it for generations and angels don't even get to see it. They don't even understand it. Grace is so radical even to the mind of angels. Divine beings that God created don't even fully comprehend grace. That's how crazy it is. That's how traumatizing it can be. Oh, it's good. Okay, moving on real fast. Okay. You love it? The Word of God? 
I just leave. Isn't it good? I, I, I will not do this to you. It's, I'm already way past. I'm sorry. Oh, I'm sorry. As the Spirit leads. Yeah, everybody's going to beat her up after the thing's over that one. I'm joking. I'm joking. Thank you. I'll take that as the Spirit leads. Um, I just love the word. I mean, I love how it just comes alive to us right here in this moment as we're just working it out. We don't fully understand it. Let's keep reading. First Peter chapter 1, verse 13 through 24. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Verse 17. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver and gold, but the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith And hope are in God. Verse 22. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. This is how redemption plays out in our life. This is how we've talked about who, why, here is how we are moved into redemption. So let me pull out five weighty words, five Christian words that motivate us, that drive us, that sustain us. The first one, and it's really more of this is the kind of moving into the practical application. Like how has Casey Van Norman gone from this girl that was just eaten up with addiction and depression and, and, and a Christian. Let me be clear. And, and whoever, I mean, I, oh, I can't even tell you the emails and the letters I got after I wrote Name by God of, of women just mad at me. Just mad that I would have the audacity to tell the honest version of my story and still say that I love Jesus. And so that's really been really important. I mean, a part of my uh, calling, if you will, to, to say this from a Christian perspective. I'm not coming in saying, hey, I was, I, I was out on the streets, strung out, I didn't know the Lord, and then I had this saving thing, and then, and then it was awesome. Nope, that's not my story. My story is I really loved Jesus, and I was in the church and a full-fledged Christian. And I was still able to go to some of the darkest, deepest Pits of sin. And where is the hope for that girl? And that is what I speak. For however long, I don't know, I, I literally, I don't, I don't knock on anyone's door. I just love that there's a part of me that doesn't want to do this. You know, there's a part of me that wrestles and fights getting up in front of uh, women, A, um, Christian women, B, Let's all just be very honest that we can be really hard on each other. And so to get up and to tell this, you know, there, we've been met with criticism. We've been met with, you know, backlash. And, but to just see God continuing to strengthen me and, and really just armor me up. In, and I don't have to go beat. That's what's so cool. I don't have to go knock on doors and beat down the door to ask you to come and let me talk to you. God just keeps opening those places for me that's true. Like, Vicki prayed and was connected to me, and I prayed and was connected to her, and we said, yes. 
And that was it. And we get to this, we, this gets to be messy. This gets to not be everything that I wanted it to be and she wanted it to be. It's more. And that's what I hope for you in who you are. Girls, ladies, sisters, you have a gift. You have an incredible gift and calling on your life. You do. There is no question. It is Bible truth for you, baby. And people want to knock that down and poke holes in it and cut it out. No. No. I say no more. I say we celebrate one another. I say we come alongside each other. And we quit comparing ourselves to what she's doing and what she's doing. And just because my story gets to play out here, the story of every table back here is just as relevant, just as important. Every teacher, every nurse, every preacher, every sister, every daughter, every mother. Oh, Lord, the mothers. You can stay at home and take care of your babies and that may be the greatest calling of your life. And you do it like a boss. That's what you do. You show up for your kids. You do the laundry. You make some macaroni and cheese. You don't take a shower for five days. And you love those children. It is the greatest calling of your life to leave a legacy of truth and hope in those lives. To show up for your husband when he's being a total jerk. (laughs) To hold our tongue. To let God work it out. To be on our knees in prayer for him. To show up for our sisters who are hurting, sick, questioning, doubting, addicted, insecure, frustrating, awkward, all of the words, to show up and celebrate them and go, there is so much more. You walk out in it, sister. You walk out in that thing. You have been gifted and you have been called and you are chosen, period. And you don't owe an explanation to anyone. Oh, it's beautiful. Beautiful. That is what happens in our mind. That's the first word. Our mind starts to change. I talked a little bit about that in the first session, so I won't go into it too much. But what does this look like for our mind to to change? Well, it's in Romans 8. It's actually said three times about our mind. And remember how I told you, um, that's our heart. When, When the Bible's referring to our heart or when you're even talking about, hey, where's your motive on that or where's your heart at in that? You're actually talking about the anterior cingulate cortex, the ACC. It's a part of your brain. And it's pumping emotion and motive and and all. It's it's connecting um, your experiences and the patterns of your life to, to now. What is happening now? So when somebody's pushing on you a certain way, or it can even, let me give an example. It can be like if you were bullied in elementary school and you were called, you know, I don't know, all kinds of names. You're fat, you're ugly, you're a nerd, whatever. So you were bullied when you were a kid. Well, you may have gone through your teenage years and your young adulthood just kind of compressing those memories down, all right? And and really doing everything to avoid that. Or maybe even that's the lie that you believe, so you just fed into that. So now you've kind of become a version of that because it's what you know and it's what's comfortable even though it's a lie. And so you get into your adulthood. And by the way, your brain doesn't even stop developing until you're 25. I'm, a, I'm sorry, I'm a bit of a nerd on the brain stuff because it's so important and, and people miss this. And if you miss what, how God has wired you to be, then you don't let people off the hook. <laughs> you judge them. And you judge yourself way too harshly. So your, your brain at 25 is, is just now to the point where can, it can even start to understand what all has happened to you, the things in your life, in your home that you saw or that you didn't see. So the things that are most powerful, actually the things that we did not see, the things that were kept from us. So if you did not see grace, love, if you were not in a home where um, grace and love was given to you no matter how bad you messed up, then you are not going to understand grace, love, 
in your 20s and 30s. That's got to be, you've got to relearn it. You've got to teach yourself through process. But what happens is we get to 25 and we kind of, things settle inside of our brain, but, but we have now literally a map that our brain has made of how we respond to hard things. So when somebody calls us a name, uh, or, or even, not even, let's not even say that harsh, when we feel like we are being rejected, we're not invited to the party, we're not included in the group, what we, are, we are literally in that place that we were when we were in the third grade and someone was calling us fat or ugly or not enough. Our brain is still there. So we have to transform. The spirit has to renew and transform. And so this network of firing that goes over here and says, yeah, that's who you are. That's who you are. So just act like that. So now what the spirit is able to do is to settle us through the word of God. The more we read truth, the more it becomes true true of us. I mean, people ask me all the time, what do I do? What do I do? What medicine do I take? How do I do it? And yes, there's a lot of layers, but mostly you read the Bible. You want a practical application for how to, to feel redeemed, how to feel this, how to go walk out in your gift, walk out in your calling. If the word of God is not in and spoken to your heart and your brain every day, don't come crying to me. Because that's it. That's the medicine. It is alive. It's alive. It's not just a book. It's alive. It goes down into the joints and the marrow of your heart and your soul. The part you, I did, this did not come real to me. Hebrews 4.12 goes down into the joints and marrow until I had a bone marrow biopsy. Have you had a bone marrow biopsy? Have you had a, okay, and I've given birth to two children. So I can talk to you about a little bit of pain. But also bone marrow biopsy is really, really painful. A different kind of pain than labor and childbirth, but very, very painful. But the, the whole premise that it's even the word of God is compared to this going down into your bone and marrow. Well, your bone is hard. It's not easily penetrable. But what runs in there is the marrow of life. So it keeps you living your blood. What's pumping into you, what's making you get up and exist another day. So to have a needle go through the skin, the layer of fat, and hit the bone, go through the bone into the marrow and withdraw that marrow is very painful. And that is what the Word of God does. That is what it's compared to. And so every single day, as painful as it may feel to go and let the truth get into that bone and marrow, that is what has the potential to transform our minds so that now our neurons literally go from this is who we were to this is who we are. So now I respond differently when I feel rejected. I'm not in the third grade anymore. I'm a daughter of Christ and it's taken me a little while to work that out. I'm 45 now. I'm 50. And, and I'm just now realizing that. And I'm realizing that I've got to, there's patterns in my life that have kept me over here that I've got to do differently. I've got to do this dance differently. I've got to walk this out differently. And I'm going to change something, yes, on practical, our physical behaviors. We change, like if you're an alcoholic and you want to quit drinking, you don't buy beer. So, yes, there's practical, tangible things we do. Okay, so, but mostly we read the truth and we let it go down deep and it changes us. So it comes from, what I'm trying to say to you is this mind, that's what Romans 8 says over and over, that you set your mind on. So how do you do that? You set your mind. You set your mind on the truth. The only way to do that is to get a good working knowledge of the scripture. That is the only truth there is. That's where truth is. Everybody else's truth is subjective. Do you know that? Like your truth is different than my truth and how I perceive something and say something. We're all different. We're all going to say something different. I mean, from the color of these chairs to what that, how that sign, what that sign says to us, we would all say something different because it's filtering through the truth that we know. So we've got to have a place to land. We've got to have something that's the real, hold it truth for us. And it is only here in God's word, the inspired revelation of who God is, his character. Does that make sense? 
Yeah, so just, oh man, if you don't hear anything else, that you would leave here and you would develop an affection. Check your affection, sister. Whatever you are most affectionate about is where your desires are. And so that big overarching desire, it's, it's determining the steps you take. It's determining what you do and how you say. And if you're most affectionate about a relationship, then that relationship will be the filter through which you run every decision. If you are most affectionate about money, if you desire that most, then money will be the filter through which you run every decision. If you are most affectionate about religion and law and obedience, you see what I'm saying? Mind really is the mind. That's why the Bible talks about it. It's very, very important. The mind changes our behaviors. And we, we renew this mind by setting it in the hope that is God's word. That's the second word. Hebrews 6 tells us that hope is the anchor so remember that when life is just, you're in a boat and there's a storm. And you see the storm and you're in the storm and you are rocking everywhere and you are sick and nauseous and you are scared for your life. But that boat is anchored to the ocean floor. There is an anchor for your soul. And it is the hope in Jesus that this is not your home. And that anchors us when everything is rocking and out of balance. We see the word also, third, ransomed. We see the, the um, redemption repeated for us here. That we were ransomed, that we were redeemed. Not with perishable things, but with unperishable things. The unperishable thing is, is Jesus on the cross. The ransom that he paid was in the moment that he had those three hours on the cross where he cried out to God. He cried out to his father, Eli, Eli, lama sabach tonight. God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You must understand, if you do not understand that phrase, you do not understand your life. Because in those three hours, he was literally divided from who he was. In those three hours... To be for, for Jesus, the God made flesh, to be forsaken meant that there was division. He literally took on what it is for us to be born in sin as a sinner, to be divided from God. And so if hell is anything, I don't know exactly what hell is. If it is anything, I do know it is to be divided from my creator for eternity. And I do not want that. And, and I will risk everything Risk everything on that. I can be wrong about a lot of things. We can be wrong about a lot of things, sisters. But I'm not willing to risk that. And if Jesus is saying that he is God made flesh, by the way, the only one, the only man, the only human to ever, to ever mark humanity and say that he is God, the only one. To say that he is also God and also human, to, you know, because he took it all. Because he went all the way. He had to feel all of the feels. He had to feel all of the temptations. He had to feel humanity for us. In those three hours, he went all the way. He went all the way to death and sin and the grave. And our greatest suffering and temptation, he felt and took. And when he said, it is finished, he really meant it. And for us to disbelieve that that is who we are is to disbelieve what he did on the cross. For you to count yourself out of your calling and your gift or say that you're not good enough or you're not valuable or, that there, or to believe that there's not more hope for your marriage and your people and your children for you to stop is to disbelieve that Jesus really is who he, he really finished the work for you, baby. He really did. He said, capped and sealed and period on your past, present, and future. And he took all of it. Because we'll mess up again. But can we just say amen that he did that? We praise him. We praise him. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Okay. That's the truth. That's the fourth word. That he loves you. That he comes after you. He's coming after you. And this is all for the sincere love. That's the words used here by Peter. 
for you to experience genuine, sincere love. This is what pays the debt, ladies. This is what changes our stones of debt into stones of remembrance. Where Jesus fully takes that stone of us. And and in that, here's what I want you to hear. It's still important. That stone is not removed from who you are. It is a part of you. Imagine me coming in here and trying to tell you my story without saying that I committed adultery or that I was raped or that I had an alcoholic father or that I can't. Imagine me trying to tell you only the good things and only, you see those stones, they're still a part of my story. But, but just like cancer cells are in me, I can't change that fact, but I can change the way I see it. It can motivate me from a different place now. And so those stones that Jesus has fully taken, now they mean something. They are a mark of his faithfulness, not my sinfulness. And so I want to encourage you as you, I've asked you to write. If you've written and you've had the courage to write down this place of debt that you are holding on to, I want you to just, and maybe you're not there where you can cross out on, that, this is not one of those things that can be done in a day. Healing and spirit movement, that takes time, maybe a lifetime for some of us to be free of some of these things. But I want you to just write a place where God has been faithful to you and you know it. So on the same page, in the same area of your Bible or notes or on your phone, will you just think for a moment and will you ask spirit to tell you This place where God has shown himself faithful, where his love has been sincere and you felt it. You know that there is a place where he has rescued you. And it may be like, he saved me. That simple. And he saved me. I'm going to be with him in heaven forever. (laughs) Or it may be like, he saved my marriage. He gave me a child when I didn't think I could have a child. He restored and reconciled a relationship that I thought was beyond repair. He brought me a church when I thought I didn't belong anywhere. He's given me a job and an income when people starve in this world. And I actually have an income and I have food and and I can pay the bills. You see, it's, it's the little things of his faithfulness over and over. And it is this place where we then are able to push out and love others. It's from this sincere love flowing into us that we believe is true of us and for us that then we can love others without return. Yes, is this good? Yes. We love you, Jesus. So I'm going to do this. I know we're breaking for lunch and... I apologize, I've gone over time again, but this was important. I mean, this day was important to me. I've prayed for you for two years. And, and I, I apologize if I've talked too much, but I had all these words to say that I've, I've prayed. I mean, some of this I've never said before, so I know it's for you, and I don't even know what God will do with this, but he brought you here. He really did. He is in control of this world and life and everything passes through his hands. And he comes after you. He brings you into these these small, these seemingly small moments to just radically shift your life. So I pray that as you leave today, and I don't think we're leaving just yet. We're going to eat and we're going to enjoy fellowship. Let's celebrate. Let's have some fun. Let's blare some music and let's talk and let's laugh. And let's just be, that's, why I, that's freedom. Be your awkward, crazy selves. We're all weird. Just be weird. Go buy some stuff. <laughs>